like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. As we said last week, winter did not leave. Nope. So, happy winter brewing here. The, these are the death throes of winter, Bert. Yeah. Jeremy White, Bert Deister with you here on uh, Niagara Usually we don't get the snow. Haven't enjoyed shoveling. Yeah, I'm ready for it to be done, but... Uh, Snow's better than slush. You kind of want to skip right ahead. Anyway, uh, last week we talked about brewing Oktoberfest, that it's the time of year that if you're going to you know, plan for the true Oktoberfest yeah, style, it's in that, the name. that now's the time to brew. Yeah, Marzen means March, so you're supposed to brew it in March. Yeah. So if you're thinking ahead, please try to brew some and save it for yourself for the fall. Which is something you mentioned you've not been able to Never able, been successful never at been saving an Oktoberfest all the way from March <laughs> to October. Yeah. Ever. We're going to get into barley types this week, but before we do that, um, the 12th annual Art of Beer. We're not telling you to go anymore. It happened. It happened. It was successful. Thank you to everybody who volunteered. Uh, thank you to all the vendors. They put a lot of time both at the event and prepping to get there and putting everything away when they get home. And thank you for the patrons because we wouldn't be able to make any money on an event like this with even all these volunteers if we didn't have somebody willing to cough up the 35 bucks to come down for all you can eat and a bunch of beers and uh, enjoy themselves for a night. So thank you for everybody who's kind of braved the late winter uh, to come down despite the cold temperatures and enjoy yourself at the Art of Beer. So right. you had a good time, we had a good time, and the money goes to a good cause. So Very good. Win, win, win. Very good. Uh Hop rhizomes. Let's talk about hop rhizomes right now. Yes, and it is the time to start thinking about them. We'll be getting them in at the end of the month, whether the weather's really ready for them or not. Um, and so think about where you might want to plant them. For anybody who hasn't kind of heard us kind of promoting the hop rhizomes, they're a perennial flower, and the flower is used as a uh, bittering agent and a flavoring agent in the beer. And even if you don't brew beer, they're an easy-to-maintain perennial vine that won't dig into your foundation, won't dig into your fence, um, easily trellis, and grows fast. And in the fall, it's going to grow these wonderful kind of clusters of these green pine cone kind of shaped flowers. Um, and if you brew, you then have a large supply of hops for your own consumption. If you don't, you just have a bunch of pretty flowers. But we will have those in. There's some up on the website now for pre-order if you want to check that out. But we'll be expecting them in at the end of the month. And we will turn them over if you've preemed over as fast as we can to you. So you get your hands on them and you can plant them as early as possible worrying about the time last year i actually planted mine as early as i could while the ground was still a little frozen and they did phenomenal um so earlier is better with the rhizomes not to say that you can't plant them and, and have success in june um but it's better to get them in in march very good deadline speaking of march for the amber waves of grain march 31st yep competition coming up uh, two weeks after that so you have about three weeks to get those in um you can submit your entries to the store yep and remember unmarked bottles unmarked caps yep print the labels out if you can we I mean, we can always help you get through the online process uh at the store but if you go to their website the niagarabrewers.org uh there's a very easy to fill in form so it's going to first register you as a brewer and then you start logging in beers and it's going to print you bottle labels the official bottle labels for each beer print them out put them on the bottles as a rubber band uh and bring them in um, you can also pay online and get your receipt printed right at home. 
so you're ready to go. All right. Carbonation lid, we've been telling people about this, a new uh, a new item that uh, is yep. pretty convenient. Yep, and very popular so far. So what it is is a lid that has a ball lock gas disconnect on it that goes down to about a three-foot hose and a carbonation stone. Um, and the carbonation stone increases your surface area. So anybody who's ever artificially carbonated their beer, you have the choice of you know trying to crank up the pressure and still shake it or try to time it, keep testing it to try to get the carbonation just right. You can leave it for a couple of weeks in cold temperature at your serving pressure, or you can violently shake it for 15 minutes. Um, this lid kind of takes the place of the violently shaking for 15 minutes. The idea is you only need one lid. You can move it between kegs. You can rapidly carbonate your beer, switch out the lids, and then just serve. No shaking, no waiting. You're ready to go. And so it's been a popular option for a lot of people, especially if only have like one or two kegs. Uh, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Or if you're doing a big batch, say you are doing a 15-gallon batch, and then you're putting it into three corny kegs, instead of having to hook up three corny kegs for three weeks, you can just split a disconnect between three kegs for 15 minutes each, and you're done. And it seems like, so you just, the, the part of the keg, the corny keg that pops off, you're just going to pop that on to carbonate your keg, and then swap it out for a regular lid, and you're good to go. You got it. And how much time does it take? About 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I usually just leave it overnight, come hit the pressure relief valve a couple of times in the morning so I can hear a little bit more CO2 clear through there, and then that's it. Ready to switch out, it's ready to go. And so, yeah, they'll save you a lot of time. For me, it saves me a lot of backache of sitting in the basement, you know what I mean, shaking these kegs, mm-hmm. uh, especially if I need the beer for the next day for another event or something like that. All right. Uh, tax return season, we talk about this a lot. If you're going to make a big purchase, then uh, maybe it's the well, – stimulus of getting some money back that'll help and last week we covered a big purchase we talked about if you got a tax return you might be thinking about a grandfather i know i have one i like it um but there's a lot of other like kind of we'll say nice cosmetic and fun upgrades to your system that you can make um if you're looking to spend a little bit of tax return at niagara tradition uh and one of them that i would like to highlight again is the Fermonster, um because i'm really getting some enjoyment out of that i've actually had uh friends who brew have borrowed it um you know to kind of try it out and they love it as well and it's not going to break the bank at 32 bucks there's 3150 depending on what size you want um so they're cheap you get to watch the fermentation they're easy to clean as a bucket um and i guarantee you you have an old disgusting bucket you can get rid of somewhere so if you're looking to get back in you haven't touched your equipment in a while you know think about it for monster you know 32 bucks you get to watch the fermentation all the ease of cleaning of a bucket you and i both swear by it yeah it's great i have stainless steel fermenters you know i can pressurize and stuff like that but you want to know what i can't do in those watch it yep um and the price of the fermenter you know thirty dollars it kind of wasn't the you know sweating over other you know ferment fermenters systems controllers that i've done in the past it was like oh 30 bucks yeah i need a new bucket like okay and i use it out of preference now yeah yeah i would say it's a lot better than i mean the bucket anytime you want to open the check on it you're you know you're prying that lid off and you might spill some of your whatever it's just Airlock water gets sucked back in. Exactly. A lot of things you don't want to happen, whereas uh, I find the Fermonster with the blow-off tube has been my favorite way to use a fermenter. Like that's, it's um, The seal is good. Like you said, you can watch it. And you're you just get a number ten stopper, so if you have a two, you know, hole stopper, you can get a thermal well in there. Yeah, um, it's a it's a high density thin plastic. So I actually, if I have the you know thermal well and another fermenter, I'll take it and I'll tape the 
uh, probe right to the side of the fermenter, and they get a wonderful reading. Yeah. So it, it's really, while I would say it's it's just like uh, you know a lot of gadgets, it's not going to definitely make your beer better, but it's made the brewing process more enjoyable for me. Perhaps more reliable, more um, yeah. It's I, it's also I mean have we mentioned dry hopping yet. How much easier it is to dry hop? Oh yeah. I mean, no, if you're going to use it as a secondary, it's tremendous for that. Yeah, I'm trying to get a one week pale ale in there, and I was able to open it up on day three, pop in, you know what I mean, my hops, close it up really quick, and super easy. No funnel, no, you know, worry about the bucket. No cheesecloth bag that you're trying to pull you out through it. that tiny opening in you the carboy. Uh, so. Yeah. So, yeah, the Fermonster. <laughs> it's yeah. one of the items that I think is, like, unanimously five stars from just about anyone that would use it. Oh, yeah. And, and I, when we first got the Fermonsters in about a year ago, I think I said these are not going to take the place of your regular bucket. The, you know, the, the regular, you know, ale pail has been t- tried and true for, like, 25 years of home brewing. It's just I thought it was going to be the standard, but the Fermonster is actually kind of going there. You know, right. a lot of a lot of people come in starting brewing, and they are asking for it by name. All right, all right. So on to the show today, and what we're going to talk about. We'll start in this first segment here. We're going to talk about uh, barley and yeah. uh, types of barley. Yeah, and we talk a lot about hops. Um, and I have to admit that this show is kind of out of my own personal interest um, because there's a lot of talk at the counter of what's the new hops for this season, you know, what's the best price, what's the, you know, the beta acid content, the alpha acid content. And I feel like then a lot of people turn around and they look at the malt bill and they're like, all right, whatever two row you got. And it, not to say that it, it disappoints me. But there's a lot more that you can look at, and I think maybe that one of the reasons that people don't look as much into what they're using for a base model is that they don't have as much interest in it. They see two-row, six-row, everything's two-row. Okay, what else do I have to choose? I'm going to look at the love bond and I'm done. But there's actually a lot more into it, and there's beginning to be more of an interest in the different variety of barley, just like the different variety of hops used in your beer and as there's more interest more people are doing some digging and so there's more information kind of out there um and let's first cover kind of what is malt um first because we, we often just refer to it as malt or grist and the malting process so what sets malt aside from just regular grain that you would eat is that the seed is really allowed to germinate it creates amylase enzyme and before that process is completely you know, done, the maltsters kiln it. This stops the germination process. They knock off any little sprouts that have come out. And this allows a brewer then to use this amylase enzyme in order to convert all the starches into the grain into sugar. Now, it doesn't have to be barley. You can malt corn, you can malt wheat, you can malt just about any grain that comes from uh, grass. So there's Kind of, there's a lot of different things out there, uh, especially as we kind of look at like you know, people who are trying to do gluten-free brewing. They're malting a lot of different grains. But the traditional have always been barley, wheat, and rye. And then when you get into these different subsets of you know wheat, rye, and barley, there's actually a lot of different varieties within that besides just breaking them down into two-row versus six-row. Okay. All right. So – Location, time of year? 
there, so there's a lot. So one, we can we can talk about the different varieties, but I think to kind of leave the growers out of this, because let's talk about where barley comes from originally. It wildly grows from the Middle East through Northeast Africa. We began domesticating it about 10,000 years ago. Um, today, like in the U.S., most of our barley is grown in Alberta or Montana way far away from the Middle East in much different climates. And Mm -hmm. so there was a lot of work that was done by farmers over the years to kind of, you know, manipulate this grain as something that could grow in multiple crops per season, grow in different, you know, tolerances, uh, and produce something that we wanted. And when they started off, there was kind of two forms of barley, two row versus six row. Um, And what we're talking about is how many rows of seeds and flowers form at the top of the grass head. So when you look at like a two row barley, it almost looks like a snake rattle where it has two just lines of, you know, barley seeds with just very little kind of, you know, furrows or tufts coming off of them. When you see a six row barley, well, not all the six rows germinate into seeds. There's six rows at the top and there's a lot more furrowed kind of growth going on. Um, And so those became the kind of two subsets of barley. Um, and as well as the species makes a big difference, as we were talking about the farmer, so does the location and the time of year, just like grapes. So not only what soil, how much light it's getting, but because you can get multiple crops of barley out per year, the different harvest times tend to produce barleys of different kind of uh, um properties, whether it's, you know, they have different enzyme content, different size, um, different total potential. Um, And then the maltster kind of blends this and malts, you know, each batch differently to try to produce a consistent product in the long run. But before we get into malting and the different species, there is a lot that goes into kind of the terroir of barley, just like there is for grapes and hops, different soils, different conditions with the same exact barley will get you drastically different flavors. Let's get a break in. On the other side, we'll get more to those different flavors and uh, the, the maltster, what you do when you don't control. That's on the way. Niagara Traditions Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back here on Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. We're talking about barley, all the different varieties, and uh, how it's changed over the course of, I believe you said, 10,000 years? Yeah, or more. 10,000 is our confident. And this is often why people kind of merge the uh, domestication of barley and the large growth into the production of beer and why we say beer is probably about ten to 12,000 years old mm-hmm. because they say it probably wasn't bread. It probably wasn't, you know, a bowl of uh, kind of uh, like quick, you know, barley or like beef and barley soup that pushed large-scale production, but actually, you know, beer. Um, and so that's always why we talk about it. And there is well 
over, you know, um, 200 different barley species that you can find, or I'm sorry, varieties that you can find out there. And we're just talking barley. We're not talking about wheat and rye. Just in barley, there's well over 200 different species out there for over this 10,000 years of kind of, you know, diverse growth. Um, and so let's kind of talk about some of the varieties that are available um, here. In kind of U.S. and Canada, um, in the two-row variety, we see uh, Metcalfe. Uh, I am not sure that I am pronouncing okay. that right. So if you I was heard a little sure hesitation. It was, if it was Metcalf I've, or yeah, I've heard Metcalf and Metcalfe. Yeah, and and so I think with some of this in the homebrew crowd, especially, you do a lot of reading, not a lot of listening, and so <laughs> you see a lot of different regional pronunciations we'll yeah. say, of the same jargon. Uh, Moravian, uh, and those are the two big ones, and you see like. Uh, Conrad, when I think I of first brewing, I know Harrington was really big. Uh, Canada Malting still advertises Harrington right on the front of their bag. So some of the maltsters can haven't lost this kind of giving you the variety and the talent right on the front. Uh, and Kendall is another one that is once very popular and still grown fairly uh you know, commonly. And then you look at six row, you see tradition and legacy. And these two malts are ones that the U.S. was kind of known for for a long time on a worldwide market. If you think of original American light lagers and what set them different from the Europeans, we talked about them being lighter, less hoppy, you know, not true cold storage, but also because of mainly growing conditions and what was available, six row barley tended to grow better in the American West. And so you found that kind of distinct flavor in early American beers of six row barley and the kind of names almost fit that kind of heritage, you know, well, tradition and legacy. And so that was the kind of malt we were originally known for while European maltsters, particularly the English, were known for their uh, two row variety. Um, and the interesting thing to me is throughout you know my time homebrewing, the English maltsters have not kind of lost the opportunity nor the heritage of kind of branding um, their base malt. So you have like obviously popular ones like, you know, in malting varieties like Maris Otter. Um, some other ones I always think of are Archer. One that we have in right now from Crisp is uh, Chevrolet or Chevrolet. Chevalier. I'm going to go Chevalier. Chevalier. Yeah. Who knows? Um, we just got that in. It hadn't been available in a while. I'd heard of it before. Um, we were able to get a couple sacks of that in uh, in plumage. And so these are, like I said, these are drastically different than the you know, malts grown here, grown in Germany, grown in East Africa. And so when they're malted, it produces drastically different flavors. Um, and there's some of the other, there's a lot of other varieties out there. And beginning to look at one that's kind of dual purpose, pearl, is like a big eating variety of barley. And in that variety, we're talking about 10,000 years, over the 10,000 years, because of selection, it has lost its husk. Hmm. So it no longer produces a husk. So not really great for mashing because there's nothing to hold the void space, but for eating, gets rid of all that insoluble fiber and protein, makes it a lot easier to digest. So there's a great diversity out there in these malts. Mm -hmm. So that's the growing of it. That's a different. Now the, it's given to the maltster, and kind of they have a lot of control as well so they can control the germination time so how long the seed is allowed to germinate and under what conditions including heat and humidity then when they get to kilning they can also control the heat and humidity as well as the cooling times 
Now, how they heat it, under what conditions, and how fast they let it cool controls something that we often hear as total modification. Um, and it is a general representation of what the maltster has done to begin the kind of pre-conversion process, get rid of certain proteins, um, and kind of also almost jet puff. So with the the seed begins to germinate and fills with water, and then the maltster rapidly dries it, it almost jet puffs the seed. And so we often hear of this as degrees of modification. Now, the, the maltster also has a lot of other tricks. So we're not really getting into specialty malts and that kind of, you know, higher, longer, hotter roasting. But they also do some grating. So they'll also grate the barley as soon as it comes in. They'll pull out the smaller seeds. Those will go off to feed and kind of food production. And then the larger barley, which is better for the mash, will end up being used for beer in the long run. So a lot then goes into the maltster. And then you tend to get, and, and this is a lot where the variety that you're using comes in, you get a stat seed as a brewer. So what does this all mean for you? With different malts and different malting process will produce drastically different results. And as a brewer, you're not expected to know like what the total enzymatic content of, you know, Archer is or, you know what I mean, uh, how much uh, true potential or extract potential that legacy grain has on average. So you're really left to kind of the trust of the maltster. And so while you don't always get the variety, you get a certain set of kind of standard um numbers. Um, and they might not always kind of be clear to a brewer, but they do kind of tell you what the grain was going in. And if you go to the Maltster's website, they will list the variety. So what you get is diastatic power, yield, protein content, total nitrogen, and grain size. Um, and these are things that really come from the grower. Uh, the Monsters kind of has some control over these things and kind of is bringing out, we'll say, like the diastatic power, the, the potential yield. Um, but a lot of it comes down to the grower. So let's first talk about diastatic power. Um, this is a measure of total kind of, we'll say, amylase enzyme to simplify it tends to be a lot higher in those six-row barleys. Now, the diastatic powder of the six-row barley is what allowed it to convert a lot of corn. So if you're using uh, a lot of adjuncts, um, if you're using a lot of non-malted grain, you're really concerned with the diastatic and you want to malt with a high diastatic power. Now, if you're not using any adjuncts, um, and malt just about always has enough diastatic power to convert itself, you're probably more worried about the yield. So that's kind of that, you know, has to do a lot with modification and the total amount of starch content, but that's really how much you could expect to get. Or you see home brewers talk about, you know, extract potential out of the grain. So how much total sugar could I potentially extract out of this grain. So if you're doing, you know, big IPAs, you're doing pilsners and stuff like that, you may be looking at this yield or extract potential because it's going to have a direct effect on your efficiency. You know, grains that tend to convert better and then tend to produce more sugar are going to give you better gravities. So if you're looking for big beers, if you're looking for cost effectiveness, you're definitely looking a lot at the total yield. Protein content it has, again, a lot to do with the modification, a lot to come with how the you know, grain was originally malted, and tends to come into two factors. Um, often overlooked, not as important for the home brewers, but soluble protein and non-soluble proteins. To give you a, an idea, you know, uh, 
non-soluble proteins are going to help keep your mash uh, firm, whereas soluble proteins may give you hazing problems. So if you're using malts with a lot of uh, soluble proteins, you are going to want to think about kettle coagulants and clarifiers a lot. Or if you're trying to make a hazy beer, these might be what you're looking at. And then one of the last things I want to talk about, which is total nitrogen content, um, because this is on a lot of grain packaging and people really don't look at it a lot. And a lot of times when there are people ask, do I need to add nutrient to my beer? Well, if you're really paying attention, this total nitrogen content is really a reflective value of how much kind of nutrients for the yeast is coming from the barley. Um, it tends to vary from season to season. It tends to vary from soil a lot. Um, but this total available nitrogen tends to dictate um, not just, you know, how clean the yeast is going to be, because there's kind of like a lot of other things, there's a kind of a, we'll say a slot limit or like really nice range where too little nutrients in the yeast kind of under attenuates um, and kind of produces off flavors. Um, if you have really high nitrogen, you know what I mean? You get really high attenuation um, regardless of your mashing temperatures and you tend to get um, a lot more uh, off flavors as well if you got really high nitrogen. So there tends to be a happy range where you'll get really good attenuation, kind of well in line with what your yeast manufacturer you know, recommends you're going to get at temperature, um, and you won't get a ton of off flavors. Too high, too low, and you can expect under attenuation and small amount of off flavors. Now, I have to admit, when you go into most homebrew shops, this Niagara tradition is included in this, and you go up to the grain, we're going to have that basic information that really doesn't tell you that much. We're going to tell you the maltster, we're going to tell you the variety, we're going to give you the color and the total weight on the package, and that's about it. In homebrew shops, the packaging kind of gives you enough to kind of point you in the right direction. Um, if you're looking for malts with kind of, you know, particular advantages, if you've been making a lot of New England IPAs and you're not getting the attenuation you want, you may want to look at malts with more protein content. That is the kind of information you have to get from a, you know, a maltster's website. And it's also going to vary from batch to batch. Um, and one thing that I think is very interesting, and I've seen a lot of customers doing, and I have to admit totally blindsided me, is scanning the Wireman bags. They have a QR code on the side. If you scan and search that QR code, it will take you right to their website, and it will list all these values. And so not only are you getting the kind of values for that varietal, but then you'll get the variety, you know, kind of the information on that particular batch. So if you are really paying that much attention, you can plug those numbers in to kind of affect, you know, how much grain you need to use or what kind of, you know, mash temperature you need to work. That information is starting to become more readily available and easy to get. All right. Well, that's it for us for this edition barley types if you join us late you can find any episode on demand at wgr's website or espn 1520's website in the audio vaults and uh get those entries in awog the deadline march 31st bring your bottles right to niagara tradition niagara tradition here on espn 1520 this has been just brew it you 
been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.